This is not who we are. Some of you may have heard those words recently from people in the U.S. trying to make sense of the violent mob that stormed the Capitol building a week and a half ago in an attempt to disrupt the electoral process. It was an ugly and disturbing scene in so many ways. And I'm guessing that you have seen some of the sorts of images I have. People shouting down and rushing past security guards trying to do their job of ensuring a safe and peaceful transfer of power. A man grinning and walking off with the speaker's lectern in the House of Representatives. A man with his feet up on the desk of a congresswoman deliberately desecrating her workspace. Maybe you've also seen images of a Confederate flag being paraded inside the building, a symbol that harkens back to a period of legalized slavery in the southern US, or pictures of rioters holding up a large cross while others knelt in prayer before rising up to take back the election. So much of what was on full display in the events of January 6th was troubling. The open racism, the willingness to disregard established facts in favor of baseless conspiracy theories, the conflating of Christianity with white supremacy. And almost as soon as the riot began and congressional leaders found themselves whisked off to secure locations and people were struggling to make sense of what they saw, those words started coming out all over the place. This is not who we are. We've heard those words before in my country in the aftermath of other shameful and ugly events. And I understand the impulse to say them in the context of the riot. They're words that I could probably hear myself saying. I mean, nobody I know was there shoving past police barricades or vandalizing the Capitol building or trying to disrupt the electoral process. The people I know are basically kind and law-abiding they're certainly not parading around carrying racist symbols. The country as I have experienced it is better than what we saw that day. So I could imagine myself saying it like so many others have. This is not who we are. It feels good to say that, soothing in a way. But what if that isn't the word that needs to be spoken right now? What if, the, what if that isn't the word that I need to hear? What if Americans like me need to hear just the opposite at this particular moment? That this is, in fact, who we are. I hope you'll forgive me for starting this way today. I know this story has been all over the international news. You've probably had plenty of it already. And we're not an American church, so this isn't everyone's issue the way it is mine. But the question of what word we need to hear at a particular moment, and of how to hear the uncomfortable words, the ones that we would rather avoid, is alive for me right now. That's a question that goes way beyond current events in the United States. And it is a question that is front and center in our reading from the Old Testament this morning. The story of the calling of Samuel is right up there in my list of favorite biblical passages. There's so much to like here, really. 
And to begin with, it is just wonderfully told. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. You can't do much better than that, I think, at conjuring a whole world with a couple of lines. With those few words, the writer here sets a very complex scene. The book of Samuel begins at the conclusion of the period of the judges, which is one of the very bleakest in biblical history. The country has basically descended into lawlessness and disorder, with violence and corruption rampant throughout the land. And it is no different at the center of Hebrew religion at this time. Eli and his two sons are in charge at the temple in Shiloh, the place where the Ark of the Covenant is being kept. They are the priests here, given the task of enabling uh, faithful worship of the community. But instead of graciously welcoming those who are coming to the temple, intending to a living relationship between God and God's people, they're mired in corruption. The two sons abuse vulnerable worshipers and desecrate the sacrifices they bring. Eli just kind of sits back and does nothing about it, coasting out his days in the sleepy little temple. The fires of faith have gone very dim. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. Those words speak multitudes. But that's just the beginning of the story. There is someone besides Eli and his sons at the temple, a young boy named Samuel, who has been left here by, under Eli's care by his mother, Hannah, a woman of deep and courageous faith. And so when the word of the Lord does show up again, it's not the complacent old priest or his sons, the temple thugs who hear it, but little Samuel sleeping on the floor near the ark itself. Three times, he hears someone calling his name in the darkness one night, and each time he trots down the hallway to Eli's room to wake him up and asks what he wants. And the first two times, Eli barks back at him to go back to sleep. He didn't call him, and Samuel does. But when he shows up a third time, something stirs in the old priest, and he realizes what is happening. God is speaking to you, he tells the child. And when you hear your name again, here's what you say. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Really, can you think of a better story in Scripture? I mean, this says that God is never finished speaking, no matter how bleak the times may be. It says that God has no problem working outside the established chain of command, speaking to a child when those in power are unwilling or unable to listen. It says that we ought to have our ears open, ready to respond when we hear God's calling in our lives. It's a story that I treasure. But I have to tell you, I have often stopped reading right here, at the moment where God calls Samuel's name and the boy dutifully responds, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. If you stop there, it kind of makes for a nice, open, inviting ending. And I have often done that, because what God actually has to say at this particular moment is not so pleasant. This is Samuel's first go at hearing the word of the Lord, and it would be nice if the word he heard were kind of a gentle one. Like, hi Samuel, it's me, God. Just want to be sure you know that I, the Lord, am gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 
Or, good evening, kiddo. You're doing a great job in your work here at the temple. I'm really proud of you. Keep it up. Something sort of kind and grandfatherly like that would be nice. But no, God doesn't ease Samuel in at all. The word he hears is an unmistakably difficult one, aimed directly at the old priest who is taking care of him. I'm finished with Eli, God says. He has no respect for me or the people in his care. His offerings and sacrifices are meaningless to me. His time is up. You can understand why Samuel didn't want to tell Eli about the vision when he woke up the next morning. But that's how it is sometimes. Sometimes the word that we most need to hear is a harsh and challenging one. This is not who we are, many rushed to say after the events in Washington on January 6th. But here's the thing. The people saying that are by and large white. They're people like me, who've had a privileged experience of American society, where things basically work in your interest. And a chorus of voices from people of color are saying just the opposite right now. That in fact, this is who we are. And it is who we have always been. We have always been a society that has discounted and devalued the voices and experiences of people of color, that has been willing to bend the law to serve the interests of white people, that has resorted to violence when black people speak up and demand equal treatment. What was on full display on January 6th, the violence, the anger, the toxic mixture of white supremacy and Christian faith is indeed who we are in the United States. It is not the whole story, but it's part of it. We Americans need to confront that fact, uncomfortable as it may be. And those of us who are white need to ask how our lives are entangled in that injustice and how we can each take steps toward something better. I know this is not the specific work of each of us in our congregation, but I hope the calling that I believe is there for Americans right now, to reckon with our past and make conscious choices about our future, to listen to a profoundly challenging word of truth. I hope that might also be an invitation for each of us in our many contexts to reflect on how we respond when the truth hurts. When the word we need to hear threatens the comfortable way of seeing the world that we are accustomed to. When that happens, do we close our ears and turn the other way? Or do we listen? Eli is hardly a model character in scripture, but in our reading this morning, he does something astounding. I kind of imagine he didn't sleep very much after Samuel's third interruption and his realization that just down the hall, God was, in fact, calling this boy. So he gets up the next morning and he skips the pleasantries. No, good morning, how did you sleep? Samuel, he says, what did God say to you? Don't hide it from me. Tell it straight. And the little boy does. 
He tells Eli, Eli that God is displeased with him and his sons, that he has made a mess of the work entrusted to him, and that his time as a priest is about to end. Thus says the Lord. Eli could have lashed out here, called the boy a traitor, called him an unreliable prophet, too young to get the message right, called him fake news. But he simply says this, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. It's breathtaking, isn't it? This washed up, complacent old priest hears a word of judgment from a most unlikely source, from a child, no less. And instead of fighting back or turning away, he shows us what it looks like to accept the hard truth with grace. I don't know what that looks like in your life right now, but I know that our faith is never meant to isolate us from reality. It's meant to give us the courage and the hope to face reality as it is. May we find that courage and hope this season, and may we let no word of truth fall to the ground. Amen.